Nick Redfern just published a new book titled Final Events, which he says is the weirdest book he's ever written. Uh, the subtitle of the book is The Secret Government Group on Demonic UFOs and the Afterlife. The premise of this book is extremely bizarre. Uh, it seems that there, uh, according to Nick's uh, research, there was a think tank in place in the 1940s uh, doing research on UFOs. This think tank had uh, its tentacles in the military as well as the intelligence community. The conclusion that this think tank reaches after years of study is uh, something straight out of a nightmare. It's a uh, Their conclusion is that the UFO phenomena is not related to uh, metal spaceships with little aliens coming from another planet. It is instead uh, directly related to satanic forces straight out of the Bible. And um, they propose a fundamentalist restructuring of the United States government in a way that is uh, very unsettling given the events of the last... 10 years. Nick does a beautiful job at laying out the premise of his book in this hour and a half long interview, and um, I was quite uh, enthralled by, by his narrative, and, and I spent most of the time listening very closely. And um, the, the story that emerges is so perplexing and fantastic and ultimately unsettling I encourage you to listen closely, and I'll just roll right into it. This audio conversation was recorded September 15th, 2010. Um, I read your interview with Christopher Knowles, uh, who's, who, who I've been following uh, closely for the past few years, on his Secret Sun site, and I thought that was really impressive. That was actually the first bit of, of news I'd actually heard about this book. Well, actually, that was the first bit of news, other than me putting the press release out and the the publisher putting the press release out. Um, that was the first interview that I did. Um, it was actually a written interview. We did it by email and um, over the course of uh, one day. And I think it went well, you know. I mean, it's got, I think, the the comment count is up to something like 100. And I think <clears throat> it's one of these areas that whether people agree with this particular theory or not, it does provoke a lot of controversy because it deals with, I guess, what a you know, in terms of religion, widely held belief systems, you know, the, the issue of heaven and hell and, and an afterlife. And when you bring UFOs into it as well, then, of course, you know, you're sort of really amping up the controversy. And on the one hand, you know, you have many people within the UFO field who hold deep Christian beliefs who, who do adhere to this theory. And then, of course, you have people who subscribe to the ETH who are vehemently against it. So I suspect that that's why, you know, there's been... Uh, quite a bit of publicity, you know, since the, the since the book was published and the interview was posted, because it does provoke a lot of controversy, whichever side of the fence you're on. And the book has not been published yet, is it? It's due out soon. No, no, it's been out about two weeks. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, for some reason, mm-hmm. I just I just thought that it had not been. I would have gotten it had I known that. Uh, no, I no, just... no, it's been out a while. Just go ahead and uh, give a rundown of what the 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 content of the book is. Okay. Well, final events is probably one of the strangest books I've ever written. Uh, I've done about 20 books altogether, and this one deals with what I can best describe as like a think tank type group within the U.S. government or the U.S. infrastructure. By that, I mean whether government, military, and intelligence community, sort of a combination of all three in some respects, which essentially has looked into the UFO subject for a long time, but has come to the conclusion that while there is a very real 
UFO puzzle and a phenomenon and an intelligence behind it. They, this particular group rules out the idea that it involves literal extraterrestrials from, you know, literal this solar system or that solar system. Their conclusion is that the, the UFO phenomenon has literal demonic origins. In other words, you know, they subscribe to the idea of a, like a Christian point of view of heaven and hell and that these entities, their entire goal is to deceive us and manipulate us with a view to stealing our souls and instigating the final battle, if you like, between good and evil. And they feel that the UFO motif, if you like, is simply the latest in a long line of ways in which this deception has been undertaken. And they point to in the in the past, um, or concluded, I should say, that you know, in the past, things like um, goblins, jinns, things like this um, were an ancient manifestation. So that they don't take the view that you know, a thousand years ago, people weren't as clever to, as today, and so they were <clears throat> misinterpreting. ET craft as something godlike. They actually do believe that these things manifested back then as the people describe them and they manifest today as the way we describe them, that they basically change their appearance to suit the belief systems of the people of the times to, to try and get their claws into them. Now, the, the, way and, the ways and means that I got into this story is that about four years ago I interviewed a man named Ray Beauchet now, Ray, in the 1980s, was deeply involved in the UFO subject and through the 1990s, I think a little bit less so now. He used to be a state director for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, and he lives in Lincoln, Nebraska. He's also an Anglican priest. And in 1991, he was approached by two Department of Defense scientists who were working on a project which was described to Ray as like an obsessive effort to contact what were described to Ray as non-human entities. Oh, so wait, this, so they were they were actually attempting to contact these non-human entities, this this government yes, think tank? Were. Yes, they were. They're, actually, this is a different group. The, the way it works is it seems that there were several groups involved that came to this particular conclusion. The one I was able to at least track down to a significant degree used to call itself the Collins Elite. And... The, but the people Ray spoke with were on a, a project that I think was, it seems to have been allied to it. It's a little bit unclear, but certainly the group itself was a separate one. But the, what, what happened with Ray is that he was approached by these two DOD guys who were very concerned the way this project was developing. The initial belief was that the entities they were trying to contact were extraterrestrial. And the idea was that research had been undertaken suggesting that these entities had, I guess, incredible mind powers, you know, things that, in the same way that the CIA has researched uh, phenomena like remote viewing and, and ESP, that these beings had even more powerful uh, powers of the mind. Um, and the inevitable conclusion was, well, you know, can we use this as a weapon? Can we kind of learn something from these entities? And take remote viewing to the next step of you know literally killing people with psychic powers the power of the mind you know inducing heart attacks at a, at a distance and strokes that sort of thing and these two department of defense scientists told ray that they were involved in this particular project and that they were very concerned at the way it was developing 
it seemed that the further and further everybody, not just them, in the project got involved, that it was like a dark cloud descended upon it where there would be this run of bad luck which was way beyond that you expect under normal circumstances. Everybody has bad luck now and again. But it was almost like as if some, I won't say a curse had been put on them, but it was almost as if you know, the, there was this negative backlash almost that was affecting everybody on the project. There was ill health, things going wrong. Um, Ray was shown several photographs of people who died in experiments, um, one from a heart attack, one that was described as having a weird crushing um, effect on the person's skull, as if something, some sort of unknown force had crushed the skull. Um, and these people had come round to like a Christian mindset and felt that like the, the Collins elite group, that what they were actually dealing with weren't extraterrestrials, but some sort of evil force that was masquerading as extraterrestrial, again, to get its grips into us. But the group felt that they, or the, the, the majority of the group, felt that they'd gone too far down the path to turn back. And, and this group, this group that, you're, that you're referring to that's, that's uh, attempting contact, now, what was the... Do you have any insight into how they were attempting contact? Was it through, uh, you know, scientific methods, or was it through, uh, you know, I almost want to say like ritual magic? That's exactly what it was. It was the the entities they're talking about were not along the lines of like a physical gray standing in the room, you know, doing sign language or anything like that. We're talking about trying to manifest, I guess you know, less than physical entities through a, via, like, archaic rite and ritual. You know, bearing in mind this is government agencies and scientists engaging in this, which sort of takes it down a really unusual and controversial path. Um, and it's not actually clear if they actually physically and literally ever saw these entities or they were trying to contact them and they began to see the effects and, and, and felt that they were around them, if you like, in some form. Um, but the more they dug into it, they felt that they had to, I guess, engage in what you might call like a Faustian pact, in the sense that they felt that there was technology that could be learned, that could be exploited if they could understand it. But it was a technology that seemed like some sort of swirling mix of, of, te of technology, but equally with a very large mix of, of rite and ritual and and things like that as well. So, you know, it wasn't as clear-cut as like a nuts and bolts UFO and, and the weapon systems that they were talking about. It was, it was mind powers, but that seemed somehow to have like a place in physics um, rather than just, you know, talking about something as simplistic as magic, if you like. And according to Ray, the, the people he spoke with wanted his opinion on, because he was a, you know, he was a Christian and still is, but was also a believer in UFOs. And he'd come to this similar theory that, you know, after time he rejected the ETH in favor that there was some sort of deception going on and with his Christian viewpoint, placed it into that viewpoint, which is what they'd done. So they were sort of looking to Ray to try and, he felt, to test the water to see if they should go public, which they actually never did. But he had a number of meetings with them and follow-up conversations and face-to-face -face meetings and it was thanks to Ray relating this story, which is the opening chapter of the book, as to how I interviewed him and when and etc. that put me on the path of digging further and finding more and more people in government who not just 
believe this. You know, there's nothing wrong with somebody in government believing UFOs are alien or believing they're from, you know, they're crypto terrestrials or whatever. But it was the very fact that what I found, I found it interesting that there were government think tanks researching it and getting quite extensive funding to research this aspect. But where it kind of got disturbing was the fact that at least one of these groups felt that the only way to, I guess, keep the demons at bay in simple terms was, was through the power of belief. And, and their conclusion was that intense belief actually prevents, or, or intense belief in like a Christian viewpoint prevents these entities interacting with us. In a more simplistic way, I guess, the less we believe in them, literally, the less they're able to operate in our world. So it's almost like our belief opens the door for them. And the group concluded that if we're to keep the sort of satanic deception away, the U.S. population has to be radically rewired to almost like a fundamentalist mindset driven by fear of God to such an extent that people will overwhelmingly believe in God to, because they're in fear of their lives and this will keep these entities at bay and they see it as I guess like a an acceptable loss or an acceptable um, scenario where we lose our rights and become controlled by a religious dominated society if it's going to save our souls and that's where I kind of draw the line of where you know, if people in government want to believe this and research it, that's fine. But when you start talking about, as they did, you know, placing the nature, just feasibility, the feasibility of having discussions of, um, you know, is it possible that we could place the country in lockdown and, you know, kind of rule it with a religious iron fist? The very fact that such discussions went on, even if it was just theoretical discussions, which I think a lot of it was, I think that's where the line should be drawn, you know, that's when it gets very dark and disturbing. And and then what was the time frame of all this? this is, I'm just trying to wrap my head around the, the bigger picture. Well, actually, this goes back, according to the people involved, to the late 1940s. Um, and they even, um, back then, had suspicions that everything from Alistair Crowley's lamb, when he, I guess, initiated or conjured up this weird grey alien-like entity called lamb, and the, the work of um, Jack Parsons with the whole Babylon working and things like that, they concluded that these guys, more than anybody else, I guess in simple terms, opened the doorways to not usher these things in because the group concluded that in some form they'd been with us since time immemorial, but their conclusion was that it was this latter-day door opening that sort of set the scene for the final deception, which is the UFO deception rather than the gin deception or the goblin deception or whatever and they feel that that it was almost fated it was meant to be that this is when the when the the door would finally open and let these things through en masse as the final ufo deception so they're talking about late 40s now in the 1950s the their theories and beliefs were amplified when the contactee movement took off um and they realized that people like George Hunt Williamson were reportedly contacting their so-called aliens via Ouija boards. And also the fact that um, George Adamski's co-author on Flying Sources Landed, Desmond Leslie. Well, Desmond Leslie's father, Sir Shane, was actually friends with Alistair Crowley. So, you know, you have 
they were putting all these threads and pieces together based on the interviews I did with some of the group members. Not really necessarily at that time having a full understanding of what was afoot, but the fact that they were seeing you know, Crowley and Parsons tied together, and then there was the thing with Crowley and Desmond Leslie's father, Ouija boards. They started to put a picture together where in their minds they felt the whole nuts and bolts approach was too simplistic. And reportedly this... In the late 40s, it seems, and through the early 50s, this group wasn't so much a group, but it was a, ma a number of like-minded people within the military and the intelligence community who'd been exposed to the UFO phenomenon, developed a personal interest in it, and would have just drinks after work, you know, in, in a bar or whatever, and talk about what was going on. But the more they dug into it, it seems to be the case that someone in government felt that there was it was worth not just, you know, these guys sitting around in a bar having martinis and talking about George Adamski, but why don't we put some funding their way, take them out of their normal jobs if they're willing to, you know, have a new post in, and kind of set up like a small, low-key think tank organization that while people like Blue Book or Grudge or whoever are researching, you know, radar reports and pilot encounters, these guys can delve more into this whole esoteric angle of the whole phenomenon. And, and it, apparently, from what I can gather, you know, it did start off very low-key. Um, and, and it was very low-key for a couple of decades. It was just a case of, you know, interviewing a few people here and there, reading ancient texts, trying to, you know, analyze what's going on. But from there, it seems to be more along the lines of, from the 70s onwards, was when, it, when particularly when abductions started to take off more that they began to get radically more funding to where they also began to influence people at an official level in the Reagan administration and in later years in the Bush administration as well. And it went from being a smaller think tank to, to a larger body, um, you know, with, with offshoot projects and all sorts of things looking at um, abductions. One of, one of the most disturbing angles that the group came to believe is that the the whole purpose isn't just as the Bible, you know, the people who believe in the, the literal teaching of the Bible, you know, the idea that these things are to, here to deceive us and take as many of our souls with us, with them, sorry, you know, on Judgment Day or whatever. It's not as simple as that. They concluded that the human soul is real, it, it, literally real. But they also concluded that these entities, whatever they are, having the ability to feed on some sort of poorly defined energy from the human life source or the, or the soul. And so their view, and this was based on a number of interviews with people who'd undergone near-death experiences, who the group actually um, interviewed under, I guess, misleading circumstances. These were actually members of the public who were told that, you know, this is for some sort of like a psychological project or whatever, but they were never actually briefed on why they were the real reason they were being interviewed. But the group came to the conclusion that the Earth, in essence, is a farm. That the reason why we don't have the proverbial landing on the White House lawn and why they don't equally destroy us is because they actually want to maintain the herd. And people say, well, you know, there's no evidence we're being attacked. And, and that's true. You know, we're not being, there's no real hostile nature. And the group concluded that the reason why that is, but equally the reason they don't land, is because they want to maintain the herd in the physical world, and then they reap us of our souls upon death. 
and they actually interviewed a number of people again which gets kind of into very controversial areas who claimed graphic images of hell which isn't which wasn't described as being like the you know the the devil with the pitchfork and the horns and the flames it was almost the best way i can describe it is if you imagine the um in the matrix where you have these endless bodies in pods and these machines feeding on them it was like that but it was endless like soul factories is how one of the people described it and these entities just bathing in in soul energy now this of course whether or not that's true is you know he's debatable but that is what the group concluded you know based upon their investigations well i've in the past uh, 20 years or so i've sort of immersed myself in the literature of the of the abduction event and uh, and much of what you're saying it, you know is whispered or you know written about in the periphery of of this of this literature and uh and it's and i'm just curious if they had uh uh, you know, sort of come to the conclusion that some people on the outlying uh, UFO research community or or abductees that have the direct experience have come forward and, and out and out said pretty much what you're saying. Um, I don't know quite what to make of it, but it. Uh, did yeah, they, well, do you know I mean, if these folks had like uh, access to information that that uh, would have been um, you know classified information that government had been doing uh, interviews with yeah. abductees or something? That yeah, that's an important issue because. The the group, there's no doubt it had access to classified files, but it wasn't, this group wasn't like, for example, whatever happened at Roswell, you know, they weren't the keepers of the Roswell secret. They actually, one of the guys told me, they tried to find out what happened at Roswell. And although they got some clues and hints, they said it was not until the 1990s that they actually got a fuller understanding of Roswell. Sorry, the 1980s, that they got a fuller understanding of Roswell. Um, so, in other words, although they their work delved far deeper than people like Project Blue Book, you know, there were things that were kept from them. Um, now, in terms of abductions, they said that all the again, this is where it gets into contra- very controversial areas. They one of the areas that they were worried about, or that angered them, I should say, was that you know these stories about abductees being monitored by black helicopters and supposedly being taken to underground bases where they've seen military personnel and aliens. Well, because this group, the Collins Elite, were doing abduction research, but at the time their budget wasn't that massive, they put a complaint into the administration at the time, the Reagan administration, along the lines of, you know, we're doing the abduction research. Yes, we've got, you know, a degree of funding, and we can do this and we can do that. It seems to be the case that there's another group in the government or the military that has access to helicopters and, you know, hypnotic techniques and underground installations. Why are we not getting access to that when, when it's, this is our domain, if you like? And according to the way the story went, the, uh, I guess a search was initiated to try and find who this other group was, the ones with the helicopters, etc., etc. And according to what I was told, they searched and they searched and they went knocking on every door and could not find anything. And they came to the somewhat bizarre conclusion, although it is one that's shared by a lot of people who delved into it and who believe the Christian UFO angle. They believe that it, it's, it was basically, um, I won't say a hallucination, it was more like... Um, 
the best way one of them described it to me like the so-called holodeck on star trek the idea that these entities manufactured almost like a holographic image of black helicopters of underground installations and in the, the projected into the mind of the person to create like a meme almost suggesting these are aliens and the government knows all about it and they're watching the abductees but it was to instill and then and amplify the eth angle the idea that you know the government's working underground with them and and to, to, to steer it away from you know the demonic truth if you like if it, if it even was the truth so in other words you know they concluded that there is there has never been you know this sort of massive investigation of abductions by the government just their smaller lower key one um and but everything else they conclude was like um as i said like a, a hologram almost beamed into the minds of the people knowing that those people would then say oh well, you know i was taken to this underground base and hel military helicopters were being flying over the house etc and but it, they concluded it was all like a again some sort of satanic deception to convince us that this is the military knowing all about alien abduction. Well, that, that manifestation of, of that kind of imagery is very interesting because, you know, like in a um, Hollywood movie, let's say, uh, you know, the character that would, would portray the ultimate evil would, would, you know, in essence be the, the uh, evil CIA general or whatever that's, that's gone off track. And that's the, that's the character in our collective zeitgeist that, that shows up as the presence of all evil I, i'm just thinking of the the bad guy in uh, uh avatar you know you know yeah. perfectly falls into that category this almost mythic character that's uh that's so it doesn't surprise me that 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 um set of characters would emerge yeah really interesting because this is actually something I've, I've often struggled with because the um the military abduction uh accounts you know, if taken, if it was just one fleeting situation where someone was, you know, reporting this, but it seems to be so widespread, and and it just um, uh, it boggles the mind that there could be a, a secret government agency, you know, behind the curtain that that is actually capable of pulling this stuff off. Uh, it seems like it would be very uh, uh, elaborate, and and I, I just think that at some point they would screw up and they would get caught. No, I I agree with you. The one thing I would stress though is that. The, the group concerned in, in the book, the Collins Elite, did undertake a number of very low-key investigations of abduction. When I say very low-key, I'm talking about making tact, I guess, tactful approaches to a number of abductees and getting their views on the abduction phenomenon. So, you know, literally knocking on people's front doors. Uh, but we're not talking about them, you know, being whisked away to Area 51 and, you know, subjected to subliminal drugs or whatever we're talking about you know a couple of representatives of this group saying you know can we talk to you off the record and you know we prefer you wouldn't say anything not sort of men in black threats as such but and i often think about that you know the people who say that their their phones are tapped you know all of them you know and i've talked to these people directly and they they basically shrug their shoulder and they say like i don't know if they called me if they just dialed up the phone and asked me i would tell them everything i know yeah and i, I think you know that this is a scenario that I'm getting from this group at least. Now, you know, people might argue that, and quite logically, that there are other think tanks and groups in the government that have looked at UFOs over the years and come to other conclusions. You know, I'm quite sure that's the case. You know, who knows, 10 years from now, the Freedom of Information Act might surface a report done in the 70s at Wright-Patterson concluding that 
UFOs are time travelers, you know. We just don't know. This is just this particular group's conclusions. But the the whole issue of abductions, they felt in part it was to again sow the seeds and the meme of aliens coming here and stealing our DNA, sperm and eggs to save their dying race. Now, whether people believe in abductions or not, I think it is fair to say that today people understand that Alien abductions are supposedly when the aliens land and they treat us like lab rats. You know, everybody knows that, whether, and they know what the aliens are supposed to look like. Yeah, that's a very pop culture, you know, that's the, that's yeah. the, uh, that shows up in the late night uh, documentaries and cable TV. And, and all, everyone yeah. in America, if you interviewed anyone at a shopping mall, would be able to recite that story right back to you. Yes, exactly. So that meme, if you like, has a spread throughout society. And they, the group believes that that was the whole goal of it, was to... You know, what people say, why are they endlessly abducting people? How is it that their DNA is compatible with ours? You know, and the group concluded, well, it's not compatible. That's just the ruse, you know, that we're given that it's to save their ailing race. The, but it's just to spread the seed of the story so we become convinced by its reality. Um, and also, they felt that these entities were sort of dabbling in ways, again, using like a, I, I guess like a, almost a de demonic science, if you like, an alchemy or something, who knows, but something along the lines of trying to see if the human soul could be extracted while we're still alive. That's, that, that was a case of people being rendered into altered states by these entities. Um, and the, the, the group concluded that in abductions, no one is ever taken to a craft that you know if you're in your bed and you believe you're taken to a craft you never leave your bed they believe it's all instilled into the mind of the person that they've been taken on board a craft but with the, with a view to seeing if while people are in like an altered state sleeping or whatever that they can actually extract the human soul before death and they felt the group felt that that was one of the other motivations of abductions that they were dabbling in I, I got in the weirdest area of all was was the notion of extracting souls and literally swapping them around doing all sorts of strange things you know where talking about people being possessed um actually saying maybe they're not possessed perhaps these entities are, are literally you know during the night uh while we sleep they're mixing and matching souls in different bodies and then returning them and all, all sorts of very weird areas I got into, things like that. And this was coming just from direct evidence from, from, from the contactees' reports, or was this, was this through some sort of... Uh, uh... No, this was more along the lines of the group um, analyzing the data. They, they spent a lot of time actually analyzing published books. Um, now, when I say published books, you know, we, we're not just talking about communion or missing time apparently though there was a large study that did involve missing time and actually talk about this in the book where there's independent corroboration um for certain people in this group um taking a deep interest in bud hopkins's missing time book in the early 1980s and apparently that that missing time was a subject of some sort of um project or study but again, deeply influenced people in the Reagan administration to the extent that supposedly three reports were prepared for the Reagan administration that addressed different theories, one being the extraterrestrial angle, 
one being this demonic angle and then a third one being like a psychological thing more than anything else. But um, so they spent a lot of time um, reading books like this. However, there was you know, a, a great deal of other literature um, you know, that, that they also dug into very, very deeply. For example, um, Ray Boucher's sources said that his people recommended that you know, people wanted to know um, the, the truth, as they saw it at least. They should read a lot of very old books, things like Reginald Thompson's Devils and Evil Spirits of Babylonia, and Dialogical Discourses of Spirits and Devils, which was written in 1601, things like this, and that people should delve deeply into things like Babylonian history um, to, to look at the way in which you know they, for example, were, I guess, tortured by predatory entities and you know that became a, a large part of Babylonian folklore and mythology. And you know they were also talking. They also apparently dug very, very deep. Um, into the stories of uh, about Lilu and Lilitu, um, you know, these sort of vampire-like entities that, you know, would invade people's bedrooms in the middle of the night. Um, apparently there was a report also done on the fact that many people who've had experiences, uh, alien abduction experiences, um, they've been tied in with owls, sightings of owls. You know, <laughs> have you heard that way? It's been like... A, subject is a cover story. Uh, well, no, I mean, just, I'm, I'm laughing aloud because uh, I, I'm not sure how much you've read of my blog, but um, I have seen more owls than, that it's, I've actually talked to, to uh, like, wildlife biologists out here in the West and said, is this normal? And they all kind of shrug their shoulders and say, uh, no, I've never heard that before. But I have seen a lot of owls, and I'm quite convinced the owls that I've seen were actually owls. They weren't um, okay. some sort of screen memory, but, but I see where you're going with this. Yeah, they were looking at the screen memory angle, and one of the things there was apparently there was like a 15-page report uh, or document prepared on the whole uh, Roman mythology of the Strix or the Striga, which was described as this sort of nocturnal predatory bird of ill omen that used to feed on human flesh in like a vampire-like fashion, and its name was actually derived from the Greek term for owl. So, in other words, you know, the it's a very weird story in the sense that you have these guys in the Pentagon or, or wherever, delving into like 2,000-year-old books and ancient manuscripts, trying to get their head around what's going on, because and, they're and, fearful of it. But another group actually trying to engage these entities and, and do a deal with them almost. So it's, it's almost like there was a battle within the intelligence world as to what should be done with this data or what shouldn't be done with it. And did they... T- uh, t- uh... Did any of your research point to like the um, demonic possession that the Catholic Church would still be involved in? I, I was thinking of Malachi Martin's uh, very creepy book. He has a book about exorcism called Hostage to the Devil. Yeah, no, well, I mean, I, I, I can't say that, that you know, they, they didn't go down that path. I mean, I interviewed about five or six members of the group who collectively had been one of them, who was one of the very last ones, now in his 80s, who was involved in the early years, and some up to the present day. Now, of course, you know, I fully admit I didn't get the full picture, you know, um, and I'm quite sure over the course of half a century that a mountain of work was undertaken and completed, of which I probably, you know, uncovered maybe 2 or 3%. So I think in that respect, you know, the, the, I don't actually have anything on that aspect of the story, but that doesn't mean, you know, that they weren't looking into that aspect. 
And then as your your role as a researcher, how do you go about looking into this? I, I mean, I'm just thinking that, that uh, uh, if you're looking into government think tank uh, conclusions that, that, that may be old and at the same time that this think tank may still be uh, functioning in some form or another, um, how do you set yourself up to, to uh, guard yourself against you know possible deception on their part? Well, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a very fair question. I mean, people have said to me, you know, how do you know this isn't a deception, not a satanic deception, but like a government deception to, to mask the fact that aliens really are visiting, you know, um, and that could be the case. The, the one thing I would say against that is that I, having met a number of these people in person and, and sat with them and chatted with them for, for hours, and in one case, for several days, um, my view is that they're, they're genuine in the fact that they concluded this is the right theory. Now, whether it is or not is open to you know, open to question on a massive scale, of course, you know, and a lot of it is belief-driven, as the group freely admitted. Um, so, in other words, I think they're being honest in terms of their belief system um, and coming to this conclusion. Whether they're correct is a whole different matter. Um, now, in terms of how I went away, how I went around investigating it, it really does all go back to Ray Boucher and the information he gave me, and then there was some leads and snippets of places and people that, basically, you know, I just phoned people, um, knocked on doors until they would talk, you know, um, and you know that, that's what it came down to. It was it was just being like persistent journalism and. Uh, hey, you know, I've heard this story, I understand you're involved, are you willing to talk? Why are you contacting me? You know, go away. Others would say, well, okay, I'm not in it anymore, but yeah, I know what went on, that sort of thing. Fascinating. Um, so here's a question. I just like the, the in my uh, ongoing, I guess I could call it research, um, uh, well, here's the story that I've heard over and over again. People basically saying, um, you know, I... Uh, at a certain point in my life, I started dabbling in ritual magic. You know, I started reading books in the occult. I started doing this ritual magic stuff. And, and I don't know quite what that means, whether they were just, like, looking at the tarot cards or, or whether they were, you know, out and out, you know, like, you know, bathing themselves in goat blood or something like that. But uh, um, And then they follow up by saying, oh, and, and after that, uh, I started seeing UFOs and having these really strange, uh, uh, you know, out-and-out abduction experiences. And, it's, and I've heard that more than once. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that, that's the sort of thing that probably convinced the the group that they were on the right path. I think, basically, this is one of the areas that convinced this Collins Elite group that what they were doing was valid. When you start to get crossovers, for example, between abductions and poltergeist activity and things like this, that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, you could argue see if we're just dealing with a nuts and bolts phenomenon and nothing else at all. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I found doing the research was that I interviewed a number of people um, within the UFO abduction field, I guess most notably a man named Joe Jordan. Joe works at the Kennedy Space Center, but he uh, started delving back into the uh, abduction phenomenon a few years ago. And he came around to this idea that it was a satanic deception. Now, I suppose, and, and Joe was willing to be quite deeply interviewed for the book. Um, now, another 
few other abduction researchers who weren't willing to be quoted either on the record or off the record. And I'm talking about UFO researchers, not people in government. Now, in addition to speaking to Joe Jordan, I also spoke um, with a number of well-known alien abduction researchers who weren't willing to speak either on the record or off the record, but privately admitted that they had received, I guess, a significant number of reports where people have described phenomena that you wouldn't necessarily associate with the more simplistic notion of just alien scientists coming to the Earth for our DNA, etc., etc. And we're talking about things like psychic phenomena, possession, poltergeist activity in the home, uh, things like this that you would associate more with a paranormal or supernatural research. Sure, uh, synchronicities, channeling. Yes, exactly. All this sort of stuff to where the abduction researchers didn't know what to make of it but because they'd staked their position on the idea that it was all a genetic experiment and that we were, you know, they were harvesting our cells, etc., because they're on an evolutionary decline, none of this material sat well in that scenario at all. And so they de- basically decided, if I don't understand it and it doesn't fit that scenario, I'm going to ignore it, which to me is like a the worst thing you can do. But... And we're talking about some quite well-known people, and I, I just find <laughs> that kind of astonishing. And that's actually something that that I I've been very uh, in my ongoing research, uh, been trying to be so open-minded, and it is it's actually pretty challenging to be to to stay that open-minded because um, it's uh, human nature just to to recognize something, dismiss it as absurd, and then and then keep on dismissing it. Yeah, I think, you know, um, my view is that although, you know, I freely admit I'm not I'm not a Christian, you know, and I, people ask me, do I think there's such thing as life after death? I don't know. You know, that's my honest opinion. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But what I, where I do agree with the group, and I agree with them very closely, is that I think that whatever lies at the heart of the UFO phenomenon, I do believe it's deceptive. I'm not convinced it's extraterrestrial, and I don't necessarily think it has our best interests at heart. And it does seem to be, when you, the more you dig into it, it seems to be a curious blend of some sort of fantastic science or, you know, something from somewhere else. But equally, it seems to have been a, a long-standing player with us that has as much to do with mythology and folklore as it does with the world of the occult and the paranormal, however you might define what those terms mean. And I think, you know, the simplistic, no disrespect meant, but the simplistic keyhole approach of the government hiding the fact that aliens are visiting us, you know, I I discarded that a long time ago. And, you know, I don't call these things demons, but I do think there's some sort of deception along the lines of Jacques Vallée was talking about going on. I, I absolutely do believe that. Now, of course, these people put a Christian mindset and, and slant on it. You know, we could argue with all the advances in things like quantum physics, you know, allowing for other dimensions, that we're looking at something dimensional that appears paranormal purely because, you know, it falls into that category. So, um, you know, in that respect, ironically, I do agree with them. It's just, you know, I freely admit I don't... I try not to hold a firm opinion on the origins, not because I don't want to discuss it. I, I just don't know, you know, and it's it would be speculative, you know. So. 
Yeah, and I, th- I mean, oh, fundamentalist overtones are are uh, just are hard to to latch onto because it seems like the, the that that mindset yeah. is is almost as close minded in its own way, um, though yeah. it does seem like 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 they they looked hard into the to the actual data and and try yeah. and not and tried not to dismiss anything, but um, you know, and also you know, just like a lot of people, a lot of you know, abduction stories are pretty scary, are pretty dark. Yeah. Um, and I've actually sat in on a bunch of, um, basically an alien abduction support group. And, um, it's interesting because about 60% of it is, you know, love and light and people communing with angels and just blissful magical stories and, and, uh, you know, radiating love and, and, uh, you know, it sounds like people communing with angels, you know, as, as talk about a fundamentalist term, but, um, and then the other part is, is, uh, dark and scary and, and, uh, uh I guess soul draining. You know, people are are traumatized. I mean, demonic is is a term that can certainly be used. I mean, something something uh, inherently you know evil that that yeah. people are telling a story. It's hard to make sense of of these stories because oftentimes they're so conflicting and um, and and I think we're we're so uh, you know just I don't know what we are as humans, but we're so fragile and so capable of of latching onto these very simplistic things that may or not, may not you know point to the entire picture. No, I agree with you. I think, you know, one of the important things um, to note when it, when it comes to all this is that, you know, not only is this a belief system, but, you know, I guess you could argue that if there is a human life force and that and it can be extracted in the form of, in simple terms, like a battery or something like that, then it wouldn't necessarily even have to be demons. You know, it could just be an advanced technology or a race has realized you know this this can be done you know it's um again i i think the scenario certain aspects of the scenario could be correct but it doesn't necessarily mean that the originating source is what these people concluded it was or it is did any um evidence of uh repti- reptilians show up in the, in the research or in your in your research that's actually interesting no none at all the the only ones that showed up in terms of the group's research was was the Greys? Um, they they didn't go down, and, and the and the Space Brothers back in the fifties. Now, in terms of my findings, at least nothing ever surfaced of a reptilian nature. Whether you know anything did, uh, you know, in terms of other research that, that was undertaken, I don't know. Um, but in terms of what I found, it was heavily dominated by the whole Space Brother thing in the fifties, and then from the sev- in the sixties they began delving a little bit into things like the Betty Hill case and, you know, kind of looking at stories of late-night UFO encounters and things like that. And then it really sort of took off in the 70s, um, you know, with the whole abduction angle. So. I've actually talked to um, directly to a great number of people who've, who've had uh, claim a direct experience with these the reptilians. And um, for the most part, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it, they they yeah. do certainly qualify as, you know, anything, you know, they, they would they would be, it would be very easy to come to the conclusion that the reptiles or these reptilian entities are somehow demonic, um, given, given what I've heard directly. And again, I think, you know, it comes down to how we define demonic. You know, does it mean just evil and negative and hostile against us? Or does it mean, you know, they originate in a literal hell? That, that's where, you know, I find a lot of biblical teachings too simplistic. The idea that there's one place where if you do a certain amount of good, you go and everything's cool and everybody hangs out. And if it's bad, 
you go to this sort of huge cave system where it's fire and you're endlessly prodded with pitchforks. You know, a lot of people believe that, literally. And to me, that is simplistic. But the idea that heaven and hell could be coexisting dimensions that we perceive as heaven and hell, and that possibly, you know, these, these locations, the, the entities that inhabit them, can interact with our realm of existence. You know, I think, I think that could well be what's going on with the UFO phenomenon. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily, you know, a living hell or whatever. Um, so in that respect also, you know, I think some of the beliefs or the conclusions of the group are valid. It's, you know, it's whether or not the point of origin is valid. But as I said, the most disturbing thing was this idea of not just leaving it at doing research, but thinking it's their role to rework everybody's mindset, if you like, to that we all need to come round to this belief system, otherwise we're doomed. They want our mindset changing. And they actually, several of the people I interviewed said, you know, you only have to look at the way in which the whole Bush administration became dominated by religion and, you know, religious characters um, to, to show the way in which this allegedly was working, you know, that there was this whole mindset of Bush getting briefings on the Gulf War, you know, which contained on their front covers, I don't know if you know this, but biblical quotes, um, a number of which were... Um, like like the three-ring binder would actually have, like, the opening page would be the... Uh... Yes, yes, it would have a quote. Um, like a like a like a like a nightmarish quote from the Book of Revelations about like going to start World War Three. This is actually a question that I had written down. Um, yeah, this, this is this is what they this is where it gets into the the worst case scenario. I'll, I'll explain to you in full what happened. The the people I interviewed said that as far as the research was concerned and the conclusions, you know, this is what they felt was going on, and they felt also that. It might be to people's advantage, or it might not, if at some point the story came out. You know, they could never gauge how the public would react large-scale to the idea of this going on. But because there were, over time, sort of the 70s, 80s, 90s onwards, there were several other groups set up, and more and more people became involved. You had, like, a splinter faction where some of them just wanted to keep doing the research and try and validate the theory and then perhaps publish a report and you know it'd be kind of like a like a project blue book report or something like that or the air force's report on roswell you know it'd be a government report that looked into this particular theory and people could agree with it or not but this faction that sort of broke away began to be dominated by people with very very extreme christian beliefs and teachings very extreme and Supposedly, and this is where it gets into the most controversial area, at some point after 9-11, there was reportedly like a, a PowerPoint presentation undertaken somewhere at an official level discussing the feasibility of locking down the United States in like a national security martial law situation after some sort, some like the next 9-11, like a dirty bomb going off or something like that closing the borders and pretty much making the U.S. like a police state. And slowly over time, instilling in people, and particularly like the younger generations coming up, the idea that radical, you know, almost like fundamentalist Christianity was the correct approach, and you need to live in dread and fear of like the Old Testament God, so to speak. 
Um, otherwise, you know, you're going to literally burn in hell. And they felt that within like 30 years or so, they could rewire the entire population. You know, the country would be locked down from the rest of the world. And they felt that by rewiring the mindset and having this total belief system in God and a denial of that these entities could play any role in our lives, that they could literally hold the demonic invasion at bay. And they saw the sacrifice of the U.S. way of life and freedom and etc. as a suitable sacrifice if it was going to save everybody's lives. Now, you know, it's one thing to discuss that around the table and actually another thing to pull it off. And they, everybody stressed to me that it was like a PowerPoint presentation, but it was the people I interviewed said that this was enough to turn them totally away from what the original notion was, which was to do research and then, you know, get the story out to people not to, you know, I guess, try and infiltrate the governments and spread this story. And even as one said, you know, literally allow, allow like a dirty bomb to go off if, it's, if it achieves our aims, you know. Just do what needs to be done. We'll close the borders, we'll invoke martial law, and then we'll go down the path of, you know, TV is going to be controlled and every night it's going to be, you know, one of these blustering, you know, types ranting on and banging the table, etc. And I, and I just look at, it seems like they were, that if they did influence policy in some form or another, it seems like that was, uh, you know, the government control efforts that took place post 9-11 in America certainly were clamping down on, on you know, out-and-out freedoms. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, and there's also no doubt that the Bush administration... I mean, you know, Bush assigned and, uh, and brought into the, you know, the Oval Office a, a large amount of people who were very, very religious dominated. It's probably the best way to describe it. And, you know, on, on more than one occasion, you know, that there were certain people in the military who were saying, you know, we're fighting, um, you know, that this is a, a war against Satan. You know, that's they, they, how they worded it, you know, and it wasn't, you know, the, the Gulf War is a war. You know, in the Second World War and the First World War were wars, but there's been this spin placed on this. And also, you know, there's, there's as I also talk, talk in the book, there's absolutely no doubt that there's been a concerted effort to bring Christianity more into the U.S. armed forces. Um, that That is an undeniable fact. Um, now, whether or not, you know, you could argue that's just down to the policy of the Bush administration, or is it this group having it's some sort of influence, or is it both? But, you know, when you have people, even in just a theoretical setting, talking about allowing a small dirty bomb to go off, you know, they're actually only talking about two city blocks or something, but the shock of a, of a dirty radioactive bomb going off in the U.S., they felt would be enough to invoke martial law and, and shut the country down and then, you know, take this next step. Now, as I said, as I point out specifically in the book, as I was told, it is a large step from having a PowerPoint presentation on how to, you know, the next 50 years of the country to actually doing it successfully and getting away with it. Um, you know, that, that's a totally different thing. But, you know, that's, that's basically the, sort of the end game as, as certain people saw it. We've got to take them on and this is how we're going to have to do it. You know, it's, it's interesting. There's sort of this, this two separate like mythologies or stories that are emerging. You know, in your research that shows that there's this 
oh, uh, overt influence by by fundamentalist Christians, as well as um, you know that the. the uh, Oh, I'm just thinking of what, like, Peter Lavenda has written, and there's an author, Mitch Horowitz, who has also written about, um, you know, the occult uh, that seems to be, there's an undercurrent of occult practices within uh, government and, uh, uh, you know, out now. I'm just thinking of George Bush uh, and his Skull and Bones uh, background, which is, I mean, it's my understanding, he, like, laid in a coffin and, you know, masturbated in front of a group of people, you know, with this sort of sex death ritual that just to get in the club. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, this, this you know, I, it's not my place to knock religion one way or the other. But what I would say is I think the reason why that is is because so many people take a simplistic approach. And a lot of people who call themselves Christians actually have never delved deeply into the Bible. You know, they've, they've heard things, they've been told things, and they know the basic scenario. But, you know, in, in terms of literally knowing the bible left right and center which they should do they don't you know it's they know the story of noah's ark they know about the flood they know about the parting of the waters you know and if you do bad you're going to burn and if you do good you're going upstairs um and for a lot of people it is simplistic and that's sort of scary when it comes to control systems but i think to get back to your point the reason why people also get involved in the cult like you know the, the, the whole bush story and things like that is because they they don't they have a simplistic understanding of what it is they're getting into, whether it's religion or whatever, um, and you know I, I think that that plays a role. It's when you don't have a deep understanding that you the problems start, and I think that's why with some of these people in government, like Ray Boucher's people, you know had a deep understanding that from their perspective that there was a phenomenon that could, they could interact with and possibly even harness weaponry from, like mind weaponry, if you like, in simplistic terminology, but there was perhaps a lack of understanding on the way in which things were going to progress, which, or regress, um, you know, in terms of this whole bad luck, psychic backlash scenario. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize. Yeah, I mean, I do believe there's, you know, there's a paranormal world, but... I don't understand what that term means, and I think a lot of people get into it, you know, they like the black clothes and crank up, you know, a bit of Rob Zombie or whatever and get the Ouija board out <laughs> and think that they're involved in the paranormal, you know what I mean? Well, and very often they might have, they might get results from that, they might tap into well, something, they, they might they might yes, get something... They may well. No, no, I don't mean that, I don't mean to imply that they wouldn't find anything by, you know, using the Ouija board, but what I'm saying is that they don't necessarily have an understanding of what it is they're dealing with whatever and i don't you know only that there is something and i think that's the same with you know people who get involved in religion um but then at the same time you know that's i mean i'm not a particularly religious person but i do know that you know the bible says don't practice gluttony i know people who very religious uh, weigh 400 pounds and shovel it down <laughs> you know what I mean? I do know exactly what you mean, and it's very interesting because I've tried to read the book of, of Revelations, and it and it comes off as a raving insanity. Uh, you know yeah. that that, that yeah. Uh, but and, and then to have people take it so literally, you know, to try to like point to that, that those words and say like, oh, here's how it's playing out in real life, is um, you know, I find that yeah, very I mean, questionable. I mean, I don't mind what people believe religious-wise, or, or they don't believe. You know, I, one day, I know for one thing for certain, either we're all going to find out, 
or it's just going to be lights out. You know? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're all good. That's, that's a one-way road for all of us. Yeah, so one way we'll find out or we won't. But as I said, you know, that is probably the best way. It's simplistic, but it's probably the best way I can describe how people, religion is like a simplistic view. You know, as I said, that idea of you shouldn't practice gluttony if you're a Christian because that's what the Bible states. And then you see people coming out of church and, and eating the, ma- the hugest cholesterol-laden whatever, you know, and they can't walk. And so it, it's kind of like, it, it, it's it's almost like an ignorance of what it is they should be involved in. And um, Well, I just think of, of, yeah. of uh, you know, not even gluttony. That's a, that's a nice example. But I just think of, you know, the, the teachings of Christ are, you know, absolute pacifism and 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 uh, you know love thy neighbor and then you know the guy in the oval office who says he you know he talks to his his holy father instead of his own real father is the same guy that's you know in essence you know commanding the stealth bombers to you know fly over these countries full of brown people it's pretty it's yeah. pretty horrendously shocking and and hypocritical yeah and i think this is this is one of the problems i have with religion is not that people believe in it or have a way of life it's the fact that it's almost you know it's, it's easy to hijack religion. It's easy to mold belief systems and, and control people. And, you know, if you want to believe in religion, it shouldn't be via control. And unfortunately, it's becoming more so. You know, it's becoming almost like a... It, it's actually, I was doing, speaking to somebody about this the other day, sort of slightly going off at a tangent, but it's like I've noticed, you know, the difference between living in America and Britain is that when the political elections are coming up in the uk you know the the press will ask the prospective candidate you know um how are you gonna lower inflation what are you gonna do about crime that sort of thing and here they over ask here. you know do, do you believe in uh, evolution yeah. oh yeah over here it's it's almost as if every political candidate feels on a bound to say oh i'm a christian by the way as if, you know, I mean, does that really have any bearing on whether or not you can balance the budget or do something for health care? No, it believes that when you die, you're going to be resurrected or whatever, go to heaven. And that that's one of the biggest things that I found kind of a, a puzzle to me in some respects, why, why it's important for an American politician to say they, they have a, a a religious belief system when a religious belief system doesn't have any bearing on how you run the country that so that was one of the big differences i found and that again that shows how religion is playing a role in creeping into into politics if you like and from your the research in this book what, what's the, what's your sense of what's going on right now i mean i just think it's a very frightening image who knows you know trillions of dollars being uh, funneled into top secret government programs where there's scientists and and alchemists uh trying to come up with satanic occult rituals that would would then be weaponized well actually you know i think that that is actually the scenario they're talking about the, the group i the people I, the people Ray spoke with i should say first they both shake they were the ones who, at least one group, that were trying to do some sort of deal or pact and, and weaponize this occult phenomena, if you like. The people I spoke with, the Collins elite, they were more along the lines of, I guess, doing the research and then eventually going public and saying, hey, you know, this is what we think's going on. Here's the data, you know, and, and kind of just putting the material out there. In the same way, you know, that the CIA published 
massive amounts of material on its remote viewing programs, and some of which sounded wacky and some of it sounded, well, you know, it looks like they've had some success and there could be something there. It would have been something along those lines, and it may well still be, you know, that one day we'll get to see something on the mainstream newspapers that all these files have surfaced showing that, you know, there was clandestine research into religion and UFOs. That was the approach they wanted to take, and maybe that will still happen. But from what I can gather from Ray Boucher's people and other people and a few snippets of things I heard, that this, I guess, occult dabbling is still going on. And by dabbling, I mean, you know, you literally have, like, scientists out at military installations delving into, like, five or six hundred-year-old books and texts to try and determine if there's some way they can contact and harness the powers of these entities and conjure them up or whatever, you know, which sounds bizarre and which sounds you know, almost unbelievable until you delve into it and you find that, you know, then the military establishment is not just working on whether it's missiles, rockets, you know, remotely piloted vehicles or whatever, but they're actually engaged in almost like altered state rituals to harness mind powers as, as, as weapons, if you like. And I've talked to people who, who um, oh, you know, who say that they were part of a mind control experiment. Um, mm-hmm. And then it has, you know, it's got this dark sexual overtones and it's got this, you know, super soldier uh, assassin overtones and this Manchurian candidate overtones. And I just think of all the great strides that, that were made in the 50s and 60s under the, I guess it would have been MK Ultra. And then, uh, you know, the the uh, public perception is they just, oh, we just closed the door on this and we're not going to follow up on this. And and I and I just am deeply concerned that this stuff is still going on uh, in super secret environments. And then, you know, adding this occult magic ritual, uh, you know, magic with a K, uh, rituals going on here. Uh, oh, I'm just there's like a blending almost of parallel realities when you when you talk to. Uh, or when you listen to folks who have these super soldier stories, they're so bizarre, they're so murky, and there's something so uh, haunted about the stories they tell that that I have a hard time taking them as as literal reality, though they may be remembering them as literal reality. But but something behind the curtain is going on that's that uh, that I worry about. I, I realize just by me saying this, I sound paranoid, but um, you know, I've just it feels like I've seen direct evidence, you know, in in first person conversations as well as. Uh, you know, literature, and as well as your story right now. Yeah, I think the other important thing to remember is, you know, a lot of people assume that the government is one unified body, which of course it isn't. The left hand doesn't always know what the right hand's doing. And I think certainly that comes into play in this story. That there's no doubt about that at all, you know, because I, I got one story which sounded just like research that this group, the Collins elite, had done. And they, the people I you knew nothing about it, yet they were involved at the time. They said, well, yeah, it does sound like us, but we can assure it wasn't. And there was no, based on the other things they told me, there was no, nothing overly significant in this other story that they would have to deny it was them. It was just basically um, consulting with um, a guy from, from Notre Dame um, who'd done some research into demonology. And they said, well, yeah, that does sound like us, but, but it actually wasn't. So that would suggest there are other people, you know, doing different things. And, you know, again, it's like you said with the, you know, the, the super soldier stories, things like that. It's always difficult to understand where the truth begins and, you know, the rumors start and what the left hand and the right hand are doing when 
when they're not unified. You know, that's why I think we end up with sometimes our heads spinning because there are so many different avenues and that when you think you've got it nailed down in one area, lo and behold, then you find somebody else who's engaged in something very similar but maybe with a slightly different motivation, you know, that, for example, Ray Boucher's people were looking to weaponize this, I guess, the, the, the powers of these entities. Others were just trying to understand them. Some were trying to keep them at bay. Some were maybe trying to do all three. You know, so. And as a researcher, how did you keep your head um, from spinning as you, as you delved into this? Well, you know, I mean, it, it's, I guess that's kind of difficult. I mean, it, it was kind of, it's bizarre when you sort of sit opposite, literally like an 86-year-old man, as one of the people I interviewed with the book, Richard Duke. You sit opposite somebody like that, and he tells you, you know, that well, 50 years ago, you know, we were, we had all these files uh, open on people like Jack Parsons, which he gave me. Some of them I reproduced in the book. Um, you know, we had these files on people like Jack Parsons, and you know, we were looking into Alistair Crowley, and you know, we're talking about analysing the you know the stories of George Hunt Williamson, contacting aliens by Ouija boards. You know, and to hear a retired intelligence guy speaking. You know, for his age and surprisingly good health, speaking about how the Pentagon, you know, said, well, find out what you can about Ouija boards. You know, is there an intelligence application there? And if there is, you know, is it deceptive or is it channeling something we can actually use? And, you know, you do find your head sort of spinning and you do wonder, well, is this all some sort of weird setup? You know, again, as I mentioned earlier, to hide the fact that aliens really have landed and they crashed and they're stored at Area 51, you know. Or is that scenario of the nuts and bolts aliens at Area 51 a ruse to hide the more esoteric, ethereal, perhaps not even not even physical entities, you know, sort of like a corporeal or something like that, you know, who knows? Um, or is it a combination of several things? I just don't know. But the, I mean, one of the things I pointed out at the very start of the book was that because I didn't want people to get any sort of sort of wrong opinion at all well not wrong opinion but you know just if people wonder what my opinion was on this I actually quoted uh, the words of Sir Walter Scott in the introduction itself he said I cannot tell how the truth may be I say the tale as twas said to me and you know I think I, I put that in for a, for a purpose and that purpose purely and simply was because this isn't my story you know I related a story of how and why this group came together and what their conclusions were and you know I, I feel that had I you know sort of poured over the midnight oil 24-7 fretting and worrying over you know either these literal soul factories we're all going to go to you know I'd probably go insane so I tried to be a little bit impartial in that respect and just tell the story as they related it to me with their backup data um, to, to support their theory. So, you know, I'm not championing their theory. I'm presenting how and why this group came to exist and, and what it concluded. And what's your sense? Is it still going on right now? Well, that, that's an interesting angle because the Collins elite, they claim that for the most part their research is at an end. And they feel that because they, that's the reason the book's called Final Events, is because they feel that the final battle is imminent. 
and they feel it actually did begin with the events of 9-11. They, they, they literally feel that that was the beginning of the final battle between good and evil, and they hope that good's going to triumph. And because of that, their work is primarily closed down. They don't see the need to do anything else because they feel they've vindicated the belief systems and the theories, and now it's a wait-and-see game as to who wins the chess game. Um, now, as far as these other groups are concerned, you know, there's, there's no evidence that Ray Boucher's group have, have stopped what they're doing. Arguably, you could, uh, you could suggest that, you know, they may have amped it up even more. And if this other group that, you know, had this sort of PowerPoint presentation thing about manipulating the population via religion uh, to a far greater degree than today, then that could be a third group that is also involved. It's, that's one of the problems is that I freely admit that, you know, there's certain parts of the story that I only got snippets of, you know, and, and I think it'd actually be quite suspicious if it was like a clean 100% telling of everything. Do you know what I mean? It, mm -hmm. the, the very fact that I had to work to get a lot of information and some was held back, to me, that is a pointer to the, towards the fact that this wasn't like some disinformation drop where I was going to be told everything I wanted to hear or they wanted to tell me. You know, uh, it does smack more along the lines of, yeah, there are several groups that are doing this and, okay, we can tell you this, but we're not entirely sure what this other group are doing. Um, so, no, I, I think I think we're going to see more come to light. I hope we're going to see more come to light. And I actually think it's inevitable because, you know, I've reproduced some of the documents from the group in the book. Um, that's good, from the group's documents in, in the pages of the book. Um, so I think in that respect, it's inevitable that there's going to be more discussed and more may come out. It's just to what extent we get to see the full picture you know, it's like when, when the whole MK Ultra thing first surfaced, you know, there's a trickle of documents, then there's a few more, then a few, couple of years later there's a few more. And then today, you know, we've got hundreds of thousands, I think, something like that. And I suspect it might be something along those lines where we may have somebody come forward and say, hey, you know, I was involved, wasn't that group, but we were doing something similar. You know, and um, I, I'd be surprised if that doesn't happen at the very least. The, um, I'm going to jump back to the Jack Parsons story, which I think is so bizarre, um, where, uh, if my understanding is correct, um, Jack Parsons, uh, who was involved at the Jet Propulsion Lab, had undertaken, uh, and it, it, where he was attempting, somehow or another, in the deserts of California, to, uh, through satanic rituals or, 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 or occult uh, initiations or occult practices, to, you know, actually open up some doorway and this happened, if if I'm not mistaken, um, sometime in the, uh, oh, right at the time of the Roswell event and right at the time of the uh, Kenneth Arnold event. Yeah, actually, he started in 1946 with something known as the Babylon working. What happened was that um, Crowley had initiated or instigated this weird little alien being, or type of, looks like an alien being, known as sure. Lamb. Sure, Lamb, yeah, the, and, and the illustration, yeah. the black and white illustration is, is um, you know, very much a caricature of that, you know, uh, classic gray alien with the great big head yeah. and the narrow little uh, chin. Well, that, that, that caricature, if you like, was actually done, what a lot of people don't realize is that, um, that Crowley was the person who drew that. Um, he drew that himself. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, yeah. yeah, and this was during, this was um, 
during something called the uh, Amalantra working, um, which basically included the ingestion of hashish and mescaline to achieve an altered state. And this lamb figure then came through, if you like. And over time, um, Crowley um, attracted the interest of Parsons. And the two basically you know, began working together, etc. And um, Parsons pretty much took off from there. And um, Crowley actually chose Parsons to read the Agape Lodge of the Thelemic Order, Templi Orientis in California, after Crowley had basically expelled uh, a man named Wilfred Smith from the position. And so Parsons, who, I mean, Parsons had a very interesting background, you know, with the JPL, and even today on Halloween every year, NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab actually hold an open house memorial, which includes mannequins of Parsons and some of the early JPL cohorts that's known as Nativity Day, and they hold it on Halloween in the JPL. So even today, you know, he's sort of seen as like a legendary occult-driven character. But Parsons essentially tried to, with the Babylon working, continue on from where, um, I guess, Crowley left off. Now, this was 46, you know, and he was engaged in all these door-opening activities, so-called. And you're quite right, you know, that not long afterwards we had the Roswell incidents, we had the Kenneth Arnold sighting. There's actually an interesting story that I was told um, about um, Parsons and, Ar- and Arnold possibly knowing each other. And this stemmed from the fact that Parsons um, on the Babylon working, <coughs> excuse me, worked with L. Ron Hubbard. And L. Ron Hubbard wrote science fiction. And Hubbard was well known to Ray Palmer, who published a number of science fiction magazines in the 40s, as you know. And Palmer was good friends with Arnold. Um, you know, he co-wrote *The Coming to Flying Source* and actually published Arnold's book. And the story I was told it was it was through this, I guess this, these four people that Parsons actually came to meet Arnold on at least one or two occasions. Um, so again, this was something else that's. And of course, for, for the group, the fact, the very fact that Parsons and Arnold were acquainted was again seen as evidence that this demonic theory was correct. In other words, um, Parsons had followed on from Crowley. Parsons had then done these sort of door-opening activities in '46. Was acquainted with Arnold, who was the man who. Now this was after, the, after the um, the uh, events where he saw the uh, the chevron-shaped uh, craft. Uh, above, uh, yes. so they, he had yes. met after that event. Yes, after the event. Okay, yes. but but the very fact that they were even talking to each other was enough for this group to think that there had to be some sort of tie-in. And and why would Parsons have been interested? That was one of their conclusions. Why was Parsons so keen to speak to Arnold? Now the Roswell story, which of course occurred, you know, literally only a week or so after. Um, Kenneth Arnold sighting, that actually features in the book quite heavily as well. I got most of the documents that I reproduced in the book were surfaced through the Freedom of Information Act, but I was directed to them by members of the group. Otherwise, I would simply not know where to look for them, sort of very obscure um, files on um, Parsons and Thelema and all sorts of things that, you know, I just wouldn't, even FBI files on ESP research from 1952 you know, which I didn't even know existed, you know, that long ago, sort of research into psychic powers, etc. But there's one document in the book 
actually quite a lengthy document, which I reproduced a few pages of, which talks about Roswell in a demonic context. And again, bear in mind that this is just the group's belief system. But their conclusion was that rather than being a crash, that the Roswell event was like a, a Trojan horse. It was a staged event as they saw it, that nothing actually crashed in the desert. What they actually believed was that these demonic entities kind of weaved like a, a cosmic alchemy to make the memory metal and then literally, I guess in simple terms, sprinkled it on the desert floor knowing the military would find it and then again to sow the seeds of the, the alien meme, if you like, and, and a crashed UFO. Um, and also, you know, to I guess to suggest the aliens are vulnerable, but the Collins elite concluded that this was some sort, of, like I said, a Trojan horse to to deceive us into thinking there's something other than what they actually are. Now, again, that's sort of a very bizarre scenario. But what we also find is that there's, um, with respect to the the so-called alien bodies found at Roswell, the group concluded that these two were not literal aliens. Uh, because they don't believe in literal aliens, they concluded that this was like, again, almost like a biological alchemy, like a, like a, as I describe in the book, like a cosmic jackalope, um, you know, where body parts were fused together or whatever, or, or, or DNA and biology was used to, to form beings that never had any life in the first place. Now, that in itself sounds bizarre, but there's actually several other points in this document that, yeah, actually are quite intriguing. One is the fact that one of um, Kenneth Arnold, excuse me, one, one of Jack Parsons' closest associates, and who was a, almost a father figure to him, was Theodore von Kármán. Now, Theodore von Kármán um, was someone who, one of his relatives was actually supposedly involved in the construction of a golem back in the 1600s. Um, you know, the idea of giving life to inanimate matter. And there's also a story that on the, on the very day that he actually died, um, that none other than, than Jack Parsons himself was dabbling in trying to construct, um, I guess, a very similar type of life form. And these have become known as homunculus, and which I'm sure you may have heard of. Sure, them. sure, I've heard the story. Yeah, yeah, where you essentially, you know, you use magical rites and rituals to create what in essence is a, a little man um, imbued with magical powers. Now, you know, it's again, it's intriguing to find that Parsons was involved in trying to create this magical little creature. Von Karman, who was a friend of Parsons and a father figure to him, a relative of his, was supposedly involved in the creation of a golem. And on top of that, one man who was known to them both, the famous rocket scientist Robert Goddard, was based out at Roswell and knew all about Parsons' um, dabblings, etc. So again, it was all these sort of things coming together that made the group think that Kenneth Arnold's encounter, the Roswell event, as they saw it, is like a Trojan horse, um, the homunculus and things like that, that it was all somehow interconnected with, with a, like a grand deceit of a crash retrieval that was actually nothing of the sort. Um, you are... Uh, stepping on some sacred cows here in the UFO community, and uh, um, I, I actually try never to talk about like the uh, 
workings of the UFO uh, community is such a funny word because I don't really sense any community at all. But uh, um, but what's what do you do you expect some sort of backlash or do you expect some sort of uh, well a backlash is um, a strong term. I don't think there's really going to be a backlash, but I guess you know yeah, sort of. I don't think there'll be a backlash. What I think there'll be is just I, I think a lot of people will just disagree with it. Um, I think what they will conclude. Ironically, I think what they'll actually um, conclude quite understandably is that, oh, well, this is a group in government that came to conclusions with which I disagree in the same way that, you know, that there hasn't been a huge backlash against the Roswell report on Mogul. What there has been has been deep discussion as to why the UFO research community thinks the Mogul explanation is wrong. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like that people have looked into it and said, well, Colonel Weaver's report is interesting, but it couldn't have been a mogul balloon because mogul balloons were of this size, etc., etc., and the material doesn't sound the same. So I suspect it'll be a similar thing. People will say, well, yeah, this is a government report put out by people who've come to a conclusion, but here's why I think they're wrong. Or it may be the case that some people are going to be, oh, my God, you know, this actually sounds feasible and this could be the real answer and maybe it would radically alter their mindset um but i think the ufo field and and ufology as a phenomenon is so belief driven that because a lot of people cannot investigate it with an impartial open mind they have to have a working theory as to what lies at the heart of it it's unlikely to change a great deal of mindsets i think you know, I, I always try and investigate the phenomenon or tell people, you know, that the U in UFO still stands for unidentified. We know something's going on, and I don't feel the need to place it into a context of extraterrestrial, interdimensional, crypto-terrestrial, whatever. But a lot of people do, and when those belief systems become so strong, you know, nothing really is going to change them. And, of course, there's certain people who've staked their positions on you know, the phenomenon being this or that. And I think that would have something to do with, you know, people just saying, well, yeah, they're just people in governments who disagree with me. Big deal. There's a, there's a, um, oh, you get this, these whisperings or out and out proclamations that there's, you know, like 57 separate varieties of, of aliens that are visiting the earth. And I hear that all the time and it shows up and, and I don't know quite what to make of it. Um, you know, it very well may be part of the truth. If that's the case, you know, like that, that's something that shows up. That's something that's consistent. There's different witnesses that report different things as well as, uh, you know, not even visual, uh, descriptions is, you know, out and out, you know, uh, moods, you know, like, you know, feeling of stark terror as well as feeling of, you know, angelic blissful love. I mean, could there be, if there are these multiple entities, they certainly could be multiple entities, uh, you know, not necessarily welling up from another planet, but, but sort of uh, oozing out from, from the, you know, great paranormal dimensional curtain. I'm just thinking, I just, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around this because I've, I've heard so many uh, uh, other conflicting reports. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it is like a hall of mirrors. I mean, one of the things I would say, ironically, is that this is possibly the first time ever a government in his, or a, you know, a think tank initiated document from, from within the government has ever surfaced that actually does place Roswell in an anomalous, as an anomalous event. They may not, you know, go down the alien path, but, you know, they, they outright dismiss the idea of any sort of balloon experiment or, you know, 
rocket crash or monkey experiment, anything like that at all. So, you know, that may open people's eyes to some extent that, you know, that's okay, they're not saying it's this or that, but they're actually suggesting that it was anomalous. Um, now, whether that would, whether that might push things a bit further, you know, it, because I'd reproduced a document in the book and there's a lot of references to phrases and words and code names that I just was not able to get to the bottom of. So I've just reproduced it for what it is and, you know, if people, anybody knows anything further about it, you know, they may be able to take that to the next step. So, but, you know, it is like a big old hall of mirrors, really. It's, you know, trying to get to the bottom of it. Oftentimes the Hall of Mirrors shows up in, in any time you try to look into government secrets or any time you try to look into, uh, you know, the UFO phenomena. It, because it just it's, it spans the realm of, of paranormal to, to um, you know, out-and-out mythology as well as the stories that, that, that the actual abductees tell are, are so trippy and dreamlike that it that it stretches the boundaries of of what's you know believable or even imaginable well you know i think abductions whatever's going on i sort of see them occurring in almost like a definitively altered state somehow um you know how we define that altered state is a different matter but i think that you know the the idea that people are just literally physically taken onto a craft to me i'm not saying you know, uh, this group's view is correct, but to me it seems far, far deeper than that. Um, you know, that's when you begin to look into it and you find, you know, people coming back from abductions and having poltergeist activity in the home and that sort of thing. You know, unless there's some sort of aspect of physics that we just don't even have a clue of, this does sort of smack of a very ancient phenomenon that you know we've sort of interpreted in different ways and that seems as comfortable working in the field of advanced technology as it does in archaic rite and ritual. And, you know, I mean, I know Matt Tonis sort of touched on um, some things in, you know, his Crypto Terrestrials book, the idea that perhaps these things are far more advanced than us, but maybe not just necessarily in a technological way. Perhaps their technology is quite impoverished, but we're looking at something that, you know, understands far more about the mind than we do. Um, and so, again, I think that's one of the things that with abduction, you know, when you talk about them being like trippy experiences, it does seem to take it away just from the idea that, you know, there's a UFO hovering over the house and the guys are going to come out and drag you into the craft. I think it goes far beyond that. Yes, agreed. And and, uh, and that's the story that shows up over and over again, that it does go far beyond that. So this is, this is fascinating. Um, what are you working on now? Anything upcoming? books you mean and things like sure that. yeah yeah well one of my other big interests is cryptozoology to the study of unknown animals like bigfoot and the Loch Ness monster and um i have a book coming out um the where i used to live in england uh, the county of staffordshire which is sort of a large county um and a lot of weird animal reports and creature reports from there so um, a friend of mine in england does a series of books called mystery animals of the british isles and each one is um sort of dedicated to each county so i'm doing the one on staffordshire and uh, hopefully that one will be out in a month or two i'm also um, putting out an anthology of writings of mine that sort of go back to pretty much the early 1980s where you know just get permission from different magazines to reproduce an article from this magazine from 85 and this one from 87 so you know it'll be sort of 
an anthology of some of my early um, hard-to-find writings, I guess, and things like that. Great, you're impressively prolific, and you've obviously heard that before. But I'm very, um, I'm very uh, deeply impressed at the, the quality of the research that you do, as uh, as well as the sheer volume. Well, you know, well, well, thanks for that, Mike. You know, I mean, it's one of these things where, I mean, I work from home. You know, I work full time as a writer. I don't, as some people think, earn a living from you know writing books. Um, you know, <laughs> UFO books don't. But, but I do, I do work full time as a writer. A lot of what I do is sort of freelance, just regular freelance journalism. Um, everything from um, children's pet magazines. Um, uh, cookery stuff I've done, um, medical um, journals, all sorts of things. Um, and so that, that's sort of my primary form of income. But, you know, working from home, I guess, you know, it, it does allow me, if I've got two or three hours spare, one day into the next two, you know, to sort of crank out the books. And, um, you know, it's, and I, I, hopefully, you know, people say, well, how many books are you going to write? And <laughs> my view would be that, you know, I could finish writing books tomorrow if I didn't come across anything that I felt was worth telling. You know what I mean? I would never write, for example, like the 50 greatest abduction stories where, you know, I just summarize the case of Whitley Strieber or Betty Hill because I don't see the point of writing those sorts of books because it doesn't bring anything new to the debate. You know what I mean? Yeah, so if, in other words, you know, I that was the route that I was forced to go down because nothing else surfaced. I would never do another book. If, however, you know, I can keep coming up with new material, but like with the Final Events book, you know, offers a new angle, which I think people may find interesting, and we've got new material, interviews, documents, then, then I'll keep writing books. And, um, and just thanks so much. All right, well, thanks again, Mike. Great, and sorry about all the, I, I don't know what was going on as far as getting cut off those multiple uh, times. The men in black. Yeah, they're after us, both of us. So, <laughs> All right, well, thanks again, and I'll talk to you soon. Great. Bye now. Thanks, Mike. See you later. Oh, that went great. Nick is, an av- <clears throat> Nick is a very impressive speaker, and uh, I have to say, after listening to this again, I did some editing, and I apologize for um, the slight audio interference and the quality of this of this uh, interview. Um, unfortunately, Nick does not have Skype. He has just a landline, and there is a decidedly um, limiting factor as far as the, the way the sound uh, quality comes through. Uh, that said, the conclusions of this of his story um, less so that they're literally real, but more so that the that the um, uh, factions within the government could, with wielding that much power, could come to those kind of conclusions, uh, is is quite frightening. Uh, this is uh, this was a very unsettling interview for me, and um, and I hope you, the listener, um, got something out of it. Thank you very much. I'm glad you listened. Bye.